Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis, aka crumbly joints. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you have come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This week we have the privilege of discussing how can a consumer advocacy organization help. Now, as we all know, osteoarthritis is fortunate to be represented by a number of strong consumer advocacy organizations. These play a wide number of roles, including advocacy for those with the disease, educational programs, fundraising for research, along with a range of other activities. There's a lot that someone with osteoarthritis can gain by becoming a member, partnering, or affiliating with such an organization. The purpose of this episode of Joint Action is to provide an overview of what benefits can be gained for someone with osteoarthritis and what these organizations can provide. We're joined by none other than Guy Eakin. So Guy is the Senior Vice President of Scientific Strategy at the Arthritis Foundation and leads the Arthritis Foundation Science Department and works to engage the scientific community as they chart the course to conquering arthritis. Previously, he was at the Bright Focus Foundation for almost 10 years, where as Vice President of Scientific Affairs, he led nearly $90 million of international biomedical research initiatives for Alzheimer's, macular degeneration, and glaucoma identifying projects that could change patients' lives in the shortest timeline possible. Guy earned his PhD from the Baylor College of Medicine and pursued research at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Guy, welcome to the show. 
I am delighted to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. No, no, it's a pleasure, pleasure to have you along. And it's a really, really important and valuable topic and something that I hope the, um, the listeners will gain a lot from. But in the first instance, just to get to know you a little bit better, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? Let's see, I'd probably go, you know, employee by day and dad by night. But I think that's, uh, I think that's six words. So you, you'll, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to subtract one of them. <laughs> and from a professional standpoint, when you're, when you're an employee by day, can you tell me a little bit more about what it is that you actually do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you as you said, my title is Senior Vice President of Scientific Strategy. So I am responsible for the research strategy of the Arthritis Foundation in the United States. And so, you know, that divides over, you know, two really main categories of of arthritis. It's the inflammatory and and autoimmune responses, and then osteoarthritis. And so our goals within that, um, within those two two bins, differ you know fairly dramatically. As you all are well aware, in osteoarthritis, we have you know very few pharmaceutical therapies uh, by some count. And then in the in the other part of our uh, part of our work, we have you know quite a few opp- opportunities for medicinal intervention. And so our goals in that um, uh, in our osteoarthritis program really are around trying to develop a infrastructure for running clinical studies in osteoarthritis. My work on the other side of the organization when I'm not wearing the research hat is on the senior leadership team of the organization and you know, helping to provide management for the many other aspects of the foundation that constitute our programs. And those include, of course, the advocacy that we do, the community programs that we run, you know, as well, of course, the, the fiscal operations of the organization. Brilliant. No, that's really helpful. And um, when you're a, a dad by night or whatever else it is that you choose to pursue, when you're not doing your day job, what it is that you like to do? Well, uh, you know, as I mentioned, dad by night, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that my preteen children and my wife um, and I all share pretty similar views of what a good time looks like. So you'll, you'll find us on uh, hiking trails or if I have my say, you know, out on a kayak on one of our local reservoirs. Oh, brilliant. Well, we share, we share the kayaking enthusiasm. I get out on a regular oh, basis. All right. all right. Well, we have something to do at the next meeting then. Fantastic. I look forward to that. Now, as a relative newbie to this area, a number of terms are used to describe these types of organizations, uh, including patient advocacy groups, not-for-profit organizations, health consumer organizations. Now, do these terms generally mean the same thing? And what's the preferred term for the Arthritis Foundation in the U.S.? Sure. So I I, I struggle with that as well. Um, In the U.S., it's also complicated by... Sometimes it will be referred to by our tax designation, which is 501c3. So you'll hear organizations just being referred to as C3 organizations. And so it's entirely confusing. But in some circles, I simply remind people that we are a tax-exempt business, you know, with an emphasis on the fact that we are, in fact, a business. And in some cases, a very large business. But for practical purposes, you know, I see no difference between any of these terms. You know, the most important thing is that 
all of those terms that you described really allude to the fact that we are here to route volunteer efforts and funding towards the health of a patient community. Brilliant. No, that's really helpful. And I just wonder if you could expand on that a little bit further in terms of what you see as the primary purposes. Is it, is it raising funds and routing that to the community of people who are affected, researchers? Just expand on that a little bit further. You know, there's a phrase amongst nonprofits of, uh, you know, no money, no mission. You, you have to raise money. And uh, you know, to be able to do the work that you need, you can't you can't do it on volunteer work alone. But the mission is the most important part. And what I believe that we're doing is that we are aggregating talent and and resources that improve people's lives. How that occurs may differ between different organizations. So perhaps you have an organization that is tilted towards government advocacy, or maybe you know, my organization is a little bit more tilted towards research funding, but there's also plenty of groups that have other, other services where they are trying to aggregate resources and, and professional and volunteer time towards boots on the ground community programs. And so at the end of the day, I mean, I think the tactics may differ wildly between different organizations, but I guess if I had to summarize it, I'd say, you know, what we're really all here to do is make sure that no one has to navigate their osteoarthritis alone. Brilliant. Now, let's say I have osteoarthritis. What can the U.S. Arthritis Foundation do for me? Well, it's, it's going to begin with what can you do for yourself. And the, you know, if we look at kind of the roadmap for how a person finds out about the Arthritis Foundation and then becomes more involved over time. They might be at first anonymous consumers of our website information and that public education information is very important, but it's not sufficient uh, in my opinion for really uh, empowering patients to do the most that they can within the context of their, of their condition. As people start to become more comfortable with the organization, they'll begin to become more participatory. They'll start to share on social media or in internet forums or in our own events, you know, share with other people their own experiences. And I think for you know, the people who begin to do that receive a lot of benefit from that peer-to-peer -peer learning. Self-management of, of navigating a healthcare system and navigating your disease is very hard. It's one perspective that you get when you go into the doctor and hear the, uh, the doctor's advice, you know, present company accept, accepted, to hear from other patients about a journey that is very similar to your own, to understand what they have done uh, in order to control their own symptom management like pain, um, family issues, you know, the issues that come when perhaps adult children don't invite you to events that they're doing because they don't believe that your mobility is going to allow you to fully participate. Well, there's things that we can learn from others about how to navigate those circumstances that, that, that go far beyond the health of our joint. And so, that peer-to-peer -peer engagement is vitally important. And then as, as people become more participants, at some point they're gonna to transition to maybe not thinking as much about what is it that I derive from the Arthritis Foundation, but then what can I give back? And it's those people who are, you know, what in, we would call our champions, you know, that are really gonna be the volunteers that are running the support groups. They're serving on boards of directors. They are, of course, the donors, but they are, they are the people that have taken that next step and are getting 
fulfillment by not only participating, but also by giving back and giving to others and making it possible for others to take the same journey that they did. Brilliant. Now, that's a fantastic overview. Um, from the perspective of much of what you're talking about there, particularly as it relates to peer-to-peer -peer learning and I think developing a knowledge about the disease, is that something that you and or others have, have measured to determine that it actually uh, improves knowledge, improves self-efficacy or confidence with, their, with regards to managing their disease over time? Yeah, uh, so we've made some attempts at that. And I mean, I think it's a really, it's a really hard question. I, I cannot tell you that we've done it in the, the rigorous fashion that one might do it within, a, uh, within an academic organization. But simply looking at the user satisfaction what they feel has this event has this educational device has it been of value you know we typically get very good feedback that people assign value to the works that we do and we we simply wouldn't do them if, if people didn't assign value to it now if it if you, we want to take this from the perspective of like a formal educational program can we do testing um, can we can we understand people's educational attainment with respect to it? I, I can't say that we've done that in, in great depth but you know suspect that it's going to be like any educational system there's going to be people who derive entertainment and socialization but not necessarily knowledge and then there's going to be people who derive, you know, knowledge, you know, from the program who educate themselves, but, you know, perhaps don't participate in the other, you know, the other opportunities. Guy, the Arthritis Foundation's played in a really important leadership role um, in engaging with the Federal Drug Administration around uh, getting osteoarthritis acknowledged as a serious disease, having conversations uh, with policy and stakeholders around important initiatives to the disease, getting potential drugs fast track for this particular purpose. How does the Arthritis Foundation determine what their priority targets will be from a strategic standpoint? For an advocacy you know, agenda, which might be broader than just the, the interest that you had in the FDA work that we've done, we have a lot of ways of listening to our patient population, and that might be surveys, that might be focus groups. We have advisory committees that guide us. In the context of the FDA, you know, that was actually a really interesting dialogue where the Arthritis Foundation had convened a conference um, several years ago uh, around what would be necessary to advance clinical research in osteoarthritis. And the FDA came back and told us that we have this new program called a patient-facilitated drug development program, you know, that we'd really like for the Arthritis Foundation to bring its patient community together so that such that the FDA could really hear firsthand from patients about how a patient goes through the risk-benefit calculation of, of a new therapy. How does a patient say, well, if something's being offered to me, you know, how do I assess how much benefit I will have and whether or not it's worth the risk? And so that particular target came to us at the suggestion of the FDA. We have a um, a phrase, you know, uh, perhaps perhaps it's it's broader than just the U.S., but it's certainly one that gets used in U.S. politics. 
that you know if you're not at the table then you're on the menu and you know in this case the fact that we had been quote at the table or in the room and had appropriate networking with all of the all of the decision makers within the FDA or other areas um, allowed for us to be included and valued when the FDA realized that they were in a place where they were going to make decisions and really needed to have that patient engagement. So it comes from a lot of places. Sometimes it's through formal advisory, but uh, sometimes it's just opportunistic and, and, and the results of good networking. Oh, well, the contributions have been incredibly valued, um, and I hope uh, that they uh, continue and make, impo make important strides for, for people out there with osteoarthritis. Now, a relatively new organization has been set up, and it's more of an international organization called the Osteoarthritis Patients Task Force. Um, I'm just wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what that is, why it came about, and what's happening in there. Yeah, again, I, I think that one's the result of, uh, of networking. A very influential member of our, of our research community and a very gregarious uh, person that you and I you know, both know, Joseph Vergas, at, um, who used to be at a pharmaceutical company, decided in the latter stages of his career in the pharmaceuticals that he wanted to return something to the patient community and, and uh, launched a foundation in Barcelona, Spain, around uh, osteoarthritis and you know in networking you know, began working with the arthritis foundation and you know some of the challenges they were having in setting up a new foundation were things that we realized together were challenges that would be held across the world you know in groups that maybe wanted to develop a, a new you know, nonprofit organization, but maybe not wouldn't necessarily know where to get started, or perhaps hiring countries that don't have a history of, uh, of philanthropy. So, what we began was this OA patient task force that you know began with a couple of different strategies. One is just to offer help in creating new nonprofits around the world, and you know the idea that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can take everything we have, translate it get advice on governments, and no one has to do it alone. The other issue was that we, as we looked around the world and looked at patient perceptions of osteoarthritis, we realized that we really don't know enough about what patients in a multilingual and multicultural context, what, what a journey with osteoarthritis looks like. So we began some studies together that paid some fruit, you know, to, to start to examine those questions of, you know, how do, you know, if you look at all the symptoms of osteoarthritis, what, what priority do patients place on any one particular symptom? Does it differ between cultures? And we started to look at other of these patient reported outcomes, you know, in kind of an apples to apples comparison between between different countries and you know, in, in the context of different languages. And so that's also led into some interesting work reviewing the state of how we survey quality of life as a rigorous measure. And so you know, I think the spoiler here is that as, as we look over across you know, international research, we as a community are really in our adolescent years with respect to really trying to understand what the burden of arthritis is and how do we do more than just treat the joint? How do we treat everything that arthritis might affect? And so what I mean by those adolescent years is that, you know, we're really 
really still trying to define ourselves and define what's most important you know, to study and how to ask the right questions. And so there, I think the, that work is exposed that there's a lot of work to do to get good answers. But if we can nail that, if we can get really good understanding of how how the burden of arthritis is shared and differs between communities, then I think that will be a very attractive resource for our drug development partners who are really trying to understand, you know, what is it that they can do to realize their mission of, you know, most health realized per dollar spent. And um, if we can show them that, uh, that, you know, they can realize a lot of health, you know, then, um, then we in the osteoarthritis community will benefit from having access to new medications. Brilliant. It sounds like a really important collaborative uh, addition to our field and hopefully something that will improve and enhance the efficiency of much of the uh, organizational efforts throughout the world. Is there any recent advocacy wins for the Arthritis Foundation that you might like to highlight? Sure. I mean, I really appreciate you bringing up the uh, the regulatory advocacy, and I think you know advocacy takes a lot of flavors. And so we have legislative advocacy, um, we have regulatory advocacy, we have um, you know workplace advocacy. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. But I think what you're really referring to are probably our our legislative victories. And in the U.S., we you know are divided into a national a federal system and then our state-based systems and you know we in the u.s i you know we're we're somewhat unique um you know we have an atrociously expensive healthcare system uh you know perhaps perhaps you've heard something about that and so um quite frankly a lot of our successes uh you know we've had about 150 state and federal um, legislative victories over the past four years but a lot of that work is around things that are fairly unique to the U.S. healthcare system, um, making sure that patients' out-of-pocket costs are limited, which is an idea that is um, quite foreign, you know, to most of the rest of the world. Uh, you know, but also, you know, that patients and phys- and physicians can um, are as uninhibited as possible in co-producing a healthcare plan, which in the, you know, particularly in the U.S., there's certain guidances around what is, is permissible um, yeah, and uh, for reimbursement purposes. So that's, that's where a lot of our work goes. Um, we're also looking for loan repayment programs for generation of new rheumatologists, where we have a severe workforce shortage of rheumatologists uh, in the U.S., but also worldwide. And so one of the uh, strategies that we're trying to uh, trying to accomplish there is to uh, encourage our government to repay the loan, the medical loans that are necessary for medical education of people who decide to become rheumatologists. Well, look, I think many of those issues are generic, irrespective of where you are in the world. I think you know, out-of-pocket costs, um, workforce shortages, uh, things that are probably pretty germane. And hopefully we can all learn a lot from each other. Now, for people out there with osteoarthritis who uh, might be interested in getting involved or supporting the Arthritis Foundation, what's their first step in order to do that? Well, I mean, the easiest thing to do is to go to arthritis.org. Uh, you know, here, here in the U.S., that's our, that's our website, of course. And you know, begin to peruse it. There's a lot of ways to get involved that you know spread between you know advocacy efforts or volunteer efforts, and, and certainly those um, 
those fundraising efforts. I think within the international context, uh, you know, we do have a lot of resources on our website that I'd encourage people to to take a look at. You know, many are U.S. centric, but the you know the educational information tends to be quite good and quite interesting. You know, we're also offering through our website opportunities to engage in research. And so, you know, the the places where we have an interest or have re, have a uh, tools available include um, a trial finder. So, you know, in the U.S., we have about 4% of our population will participate in a clinical study at any point in their life. And as I'm trying to recruit people into studies right now, we have some studies that are very hard to, uh, to recruit for. And so we've tried to develop a digital platform to you know, help associate patients you know, with clinical studies that need their participation. And so as you ask the question of what are ways to get involved, you know, some of that would be limited to the United States. But in general, I think one of the great ways that you can get involved is becoming knowledgeable about what clinical studies are available in your communities and, you know, considering whether or not they might be appropriate to investigate. And, you know, some clinical studies um, are the ones that we tra- traditionally think of as being, you know, the, the discovery of new medications. But other clinical studies, uh, you know, certainly the ones, you know, in, including ones that, you know, you're responsible for, David, are, are very, uh, very easy to get involved in and require very little risk, including just understanding the role of exercise. So if one, somebody wanted to get involved in research, I think one of the best things you can do is introduce yourself to the researchers in the context of a clinical study and become more than a study subject, you know, really get to know that researcher and start looking for opportunities to help them design the next, the next study, because the voice of a patient in helping to design a research study is just uh, phenomenally important. Yeah, and I think we really need to hear more about that, do more about that, and really put it into operation. And I think the consumer role and the consumer voice being actively involved in both the research base, but also I think guiding uh, what clinical care and what clinical services are available is incredibly important. And I think we're all hopefully learning a lot from each other in that regard. Now, are there any patient-friendly resources or links other than arthritis.org that you want to mention and or anything that I forgot to ask that you might like to elaborate on? Certainly around the world, there's plenty of, uh, of good good organizations doing a lot of good work. And so versus arthritis in the UK, Arthritis Society of, of Canada, you know, all come to mind. You know, the pharmaceutical companies themselves often have, you know, good resources on their on their websites, including affordability you know, measures for, you know, for uh, populations that may not be able to afford the drugs that are that are being produced. OA Action Alliance is a strong partner here in the United States and is an organization that is an aggregator of now, I think it's about 115 other organizations. And so one of their roles is to um, to put forward, you know, what resources exist between these different organizations and uh, try to connect the organizations themselves with one another, but also patients to those those types of resources. We laugh sometimes that you know it is a competitive environment, um, but there needs to be a different word for the type of competitors we are. Uh, someone suggested competitors, 
and I, we all laughed them out of the room and then walked away and said, uh, yeah, but maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to that. So uh, we all work very well together and, you know, think that it's, uh, we can't make a dent on these diseases if we aren't working strongly with one another. Yeah, completely agree. And I think there's a lot that we can both uh, learn from each other, but also share with one another in that collaborative style arrangement where ultimately I think the mission is still the same. You know, helping people out there who have osteoarthritis. Moving on from that topic, um, and this, these next questions are not necessarily COVID or, or US uh, tension related, but what's the biggest challenge you have with your specific role right now and how are you going to overcome that? Yeah, I, um, how are we going to overcome it? I, you know, that, that's going to be the much harder question, but arthritis is a very, is a very nebulous disease. Uh, we have more than a hundred conditions that where arthritis is is the primary complaint or is a symptom of the disease. It's not like looking at some diseases where there's a, a, a single defect in the in the DNA that there's a single genetic problem um, that is something that we can easily identify and design a drug against, and so. The, the idea that arthritis arises uh, from many different, many different issues, both environmental and genetic, and how do we tackle that is really a, um, you know, is really a struggle. I think one of the best, uh, the best routes we have right now in our, in our program is to try to look for places where we know arthritis begins. And so, when we look at people who have sustained injuries, some will go on to develop a post-traumatic osteoarthritis. And so what we're presently in the process of looking for is the defining characteristics of people who have knee injuries that will, will go on to develop at a very rapid rate, uh, go on to develop osteoarthritis in perhaps a five-year period, such that enough of them get osteoarthritis within a two-year period that we can actually create clinical trials to study these patients that will be complete within a two-year period. And so if we can deliver drugs to these, uh, to these patients and see that, that it changes the trajectory or the likelihood that somebody develops osteoarthritis, then I think that will be a, a very important first step on preventing osteoarthritis, and then extrapolating what we learn in this special population to the more frequent uh, frequent types of osteoarthritis that people on your podcast probably have. Sounds like a big challenge and uh, something I'm hoping that you, you have success with. Um, now, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 this will sound like a bumper sticker statement. I've been asked that before. And if we can do anything to improve healthcare, I look at the extraordinary costs of healthcare as being as being something that something has to change. And one of the observations I have is that the cost of of our of managing arthritis in the way that we do right now are such that we can't fix healthcare, you know, certainly in the United States, but probably around the world without first fixing arthritis. 
So, you know, we're all here to talk about arthritis, but I think it's a very real, very true statement that you just can't fix healthcare without fixing arthritis. And, you know, the, the, the cost of arthritis to our society are just too exorbitant. So um, that's, that's what it would be. Now, again, I'm not looking for a bumper sticker, but if you want to give me a bumper sticker, that's absolutely fine, Guy. But if you could have a billboard with anything on it, <laughs> what would it say and why? Well, um, I'm not, I'm probably probably about the uh, probably about the same thing. I, I I think as I look around our world, our community that we're living in, you know, right now, we have so many problems that we're trying to deal with that the only thing that's going to help us with all of those problems is what we were referring to earlier, that, that collaboration, that community. And so I, I, I think that that billboard is gonna be a bumper sticker, but it's gonna be the golden rule. It's gonna be, it, it's gonna be assume best intent and do the best you can for other people and treat them the way that you would want to be treated yourself. That might not fit on a billboard, but um, I, my handwriting is very tiny. I could probably get it in there. <laughs> I hope your handwriting is more legible than mine, but I completely agree with you. I think at times where there appears to be so much division, there is tremendous opportunity for us to unite and collaborate. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's through those conversations, through those interactions and uh, continuing to work together and build communities that hopefully we'll get through some of these more challenging times. Now, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge, or wisdom that you might to leave in parting for people out there who have osteoarthritis? Um, sure. I, I mean, I think you've heard me say it a couple of times in different ways, but it, it's, it's very true that you are not in this alone. You know, it begins with your family. It extends to your, the healthcare workers who take care of you, but as you think about a community of people who have similar experiences, even the most introverted people that I've dealt with over the years have found, um, have found joy, you know, in connecting to others. It does not have to be a big ordeal. It does not have to be difficult. You know, and once you have those connections, you know, you can, you can take that next step of framing that relationship around accountability. And so if you, if you commit to another person, you know, you're much more likely to derive joy and success from things that are hard to do, like, like exercise. And while we wait for a cure, um, that, that exercise is really your best ticket to feeling better. Brilliant. And I think that's very sound advice uh, to leave us with. Now, Guy, thank you so much for the time, for the insights, oh, absolutely. Uh, for your enthusiasm and for all of your many valued contributions to the field. It's uh, really, really valuable. It, it's always, always a lot of, a lot of pleasure to, to speak with you. I was really, uh, really honored to be invited. Good, thanks guy. So that's all for this episode of joint action. If you'd like to hear and want to support us, please do rate us on, on your favorite podcast platform. Visit the website, www.jointaction.info to give us some feedback. And between now and next time, please do take care of yourself, stay strong and stay active. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. 
If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.